you please turn to Psalm 100 for our uh, communion meditation this morning. Psalm 100. Chose this psalm for obvious reasons, a psalm for giving thanks. We just were, many of us, at Thanksgiving with our families this, this past Thursday. And I pray it was a sweet time for you and your loved ones. And remember for the kids to come up to me later and tell me what was the new thing you tried at Thanksgiving. What was the new, the new food, the new vegetable that you tried and enjoyed? Hope you enjoyed. Psalm 100 is a short psalm. Um, just a brief meditation on this psalm this morning as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table and, and receive um, the Lord's supper. So, If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a scene in the Gospels that has always stood out to me, maybe more than others, uh, just because of how unique it is, how emotional it is, how raw it is. And it's the scene where Jesus is at the house of, of Simon the Pharisee. And they're there to have a meal together. And this woman comes in, a woman with um, a rough past, a woman of the city, And she comes in and she has ointment and she pours it on Jesus' feet. She's crying with her tears and as her tears are hitting his feet, she's washing his feet with her tears, rubbing her hair uh, and cleaning his feet. And and the Pharisees are just appalled. They say if, if, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't be allowing this to happen for this woman to come and, and do this act. But Jesus rebukes them. Says no, uh, Simon. You know when I came into your house, you, you gave me nothing to drink. You, you gave me uh, no um, no way to, to wash my feet. But she, when she came in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet and washing my feet. Why? He says. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves. Little. See, what he's saying is this woman knows how much she has sinned. She knows how far away she's walked from the Lord. And she knows how much her sins have been forgiven, how many of her sins have been completely forgiven. And she loves much because of that, because she knows how much she's been forgiven. But he says, for, for those who have forgiven little, if you have not much to be forgiven of, you're going to love little. You could say it this way. She was thankful. She was thankful. Her heart was overflowing in thanksgiving. And so the key to thankfulness is knowing the God who sustains you and who forgives you and who loves you. That's the key to thankfulness. And so the heartbeat of the Christian life 
is that idea. It is thankfulness. It is gratitude. One way I like to summarize the, the Christian journey is guilt, grace, gratitude. Right? Guilt, knowing that you're a sinner and you need to be saved. That you've broken God's law. That he, you deserve nothing but punishment. But he gives you grace. He gives you forgiveness in Christ. If you trust in Christ, you've, you've been forgiven of all your sins. You've received all of his love. Therefore, you live in gratitude. Guilt, grace, gratitude. But as Tim Keller says, it's one thing to be grateful. It's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. And so we're called to not just feel gratitude, not just to feel thankful, but to proclaim our thanksgiving to God, to to lift his noise, to, to make a joyful noise, as this psalm says. We're commanded to give thanks. That's one thing we've tried to do with our children every night before we go to bed. We begin our our bedtime prayers with, what are we thankful for? What are we thankful for? Because it's something, it's a habit you have to form. Even when they can't think of anything, we we try. We, 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 I, I, I try to get them, I get something out of them. What are they thankful for? There's always something we can be thankful for. You know, God asks us to do hard things, but, and sometimes he has to do things that, that come easy. But, but there are times when it's hard to be thankful. Maybe it was hard for you to feel thankful this Thanksgiving. Depending on how your year has gone, the things you've gone through. Maybe you've endured a lot of loss. And it's been hard. Why? Why does God command us to be thankful? Why is it good for us to be thankful? Well, the blessing of being thankful, even through the hard times, is that it produces joy, even when that joy is mixed with tears. See, the truth is, we need to be encouraged to be thankful. We aren't thankful on our own, are we? We need to be instructed in thankfulness and gratitude. It's so easy to be discontent. I was just thinking about, so we have this day of our national celebration of Thanksgiving on Thursday, and then the very next day is Black Friday, the day where out of our thankfulness we buy things for other people, right? Nothing for ourselves. No, I think there's a little bit of mixed in, I'm going to buy this because it's on sale, and I really want that. It's so easy to become discontent, isn't it? The grass is always greener. There's always something better to be gained, to buy, And what we see in this psalm is that a thankful person is a blessed person. It's a blessed life. And so how do we become a thankful person, a thankful church? Simply put, we look at what we have in your life. Think about everything you have and understand you don't deserve it. That's how you become thankful. It's all a gift. It's all of grace Let me list a few things in my life that I don't deserve. The fact that I'm alive. The the fact that I'm living right now. The fact that I have good health. The fact that I know Christ. That 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 I've received salvation, not my own doing, but because of his grace. The fact that I have a, a loving, beautiful wife who cares for me. 
the, la- the fact that I have four beautiful children whom I love, even when that fourth child came and we were completely overwhelmed and totally caught off guard. <laughs> Thankful for my family, my in-laws, my parents, my sibling, my sister. It's all a gift. I'm thankful for my church. Thankful that I get to be your pastor. There's, if, if, start doing that that, that, that. that process of what do you have that you do not deserve. And the list can go on and on and on. And so what reasons do we have for being thankful to God? You know, this is a simple, short psalm of thanksgiving. You may be asking, how can I be thankful this year? Well, here's five verses and four reasons why you and I can be thankful this year. You see, the ancient Israelites had a unique way of giving thanks. They would do two things. They would confess who God is, and then they would retell the things he did for them. And so that's what we're going to do when we're seeing in this psalm, who is God for us and what has he done? Retelling his acts of salvation and grace toward us. So I'm going to give you four reasons that we can be thankful from this psalm. The reason, number one, is, is that the Lord is God. If we just go down to verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. And so the psalmist here, is, what he's doing is he's giving thanks by confessing who God is. That's where he starts. He's the living God. Matthew Henry says, know what God is in himself, and what he is to you. Know it, consider and apply it, that then you will be more close and constant, more inward and serious in his worship. The more you know God for who he truly is, the more you will cherish him, the more you will be serious in worship, worshiping him. And, and see how he starts the psalm. Make a joyful noise. Another way to to translate that in the Hebrew is shout, shout to the Lord, all the earth, the earth. We should be singing loudly when we come into church. You know, it's, it's been said that you can know what a church believes by the songs they choose to sing, but you can know if they truly believe it by how loud they sing it. I want our church to be known as the loudest singing church in Smithfield. When people come in here, it's not just the, the band singing, music and voices are all around you. Even if you're not that good of a singer, just sing. Sin boldly, right? If you're going to sing off-key, just sing. God loves to hear it. We should sing loud, but it matters who you're praising, right? Who you're singing to. There's uh, this unforgettable scene in Exodus 32 when when Moses receives the Ten Commandments on the mountain and he comes back down the mountain and he's with Joshua and they hear this noise coming from the camp below. And jo- Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. And he says to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of a shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. You see, they were singing. They were praising. They were having a good time. But they were also dancing around a golden calf. They were saying, these are the gods that saved you out of Egypt. They had already gone into paganism again. It matters who you're praising. We need to know who we're praising. Do you know this, this God, this Lord? The Lord is God. 
And see in verse 1 also, the whole earth is commanded to praise them. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. This is our main job description as creatures, as human beings. And the earth we see already praises the Lord in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's already praising the Lord. And Jesus tells us that that all the earth will praise him. When he is being uh, told by the Pharisees to rebuke the people who are then saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They say, rebuke your disciples for saying this to you, Jesus. And he says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. See, the very creation is meant to praise the Lord, to shout his glories and to exclaim that he is good and he is God. And so who is the Lord to you? Is that your relationship with the Lord, someone you praise Is he the saving God who rescued you, who you praise, you lift up his name? Or is he the God that's always judging you, sizing you up, measuring your performance and ready to reject you when you fail? How are you seeing God today, the Lord? Is he the covenant-keeping God? Is he the the God of grace, the God of eternal love for his people? Or is he that... That, that God is always going to judge you. And that's where we continue to learn more about this God as we keep reading. Reason number two that we can be thankful is that the Lord is ours. Let's keep reading in verse three. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Another way to read that line, it is he who made us and we are his. If you, Some of your Bibles might have this in the Hebrew manuscripts. Um, it says, he who made us and not we ourselves. And not we ourselves. We give thanks to God by telling what he's done for us. So now the psalmist is moving into what has God actually done? Well, he's the claiming God. He's claimed us as his own. We are his. We are his people. He made us and not we ourselves. We're not, we're not the result of random evolutionary processes. We owe our very existence to the living God who brought everything into existence for his purpose and his plan. And so what that means for you today is that you're not an accident. You're not an oversight. But you were brought into existence with care and love. You are not the result of some secondary cause outside of God's purview. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He made us. Therefore, he owns us. We exist for him and his glory and not the other way around. And we're also called the sheep of his pasture. Look further in verse 3. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Matthew Henry says, If when we strayed like wandering sheep, that he has brought us again into his fold, we have indeed abundant cause to bless his name. We're called sheep many times throughout the Bible, you and I. And what do sheep do? We wander. We're not very smart. And we get lost. And we need to be reminded again and again 
of God's care and His protection and His rules. And maybe in your life you've had a time where you did wander. You wandered from Him. You wandered from the church. You wandered from other Christians. And He brought you back. And He showed you His love. And what Matthew Henry is saying, we then have abundant cause to bless His name. If He's brought you back to Himself, and that will happen for all his, all his people because his sheep know his voice. His sheep know his voice. So how do you know if you've been claimed by God? If we, you're his people and the sheep of his pasture, how do you know this? Well, John, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you've been drawn to hear God's voice, that's what, that's what it means to be a sheep. He's opened your ears. His voice and your ears are connected, and, and he knows you. You will follow him. And if you trust in Christ today, he's claimed you by his blood. You are his. No one else can snatch you out of his hand. You are his people. So that's the second reason is that the Lord is ours. And the third reason that we see in this text is that the Lord is good. In verse 4, we're continued, there's continued command here to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. That's what we're doing this morning. But in the Old Testament, that would have been the process of coming into worship, coming into the temple, the gates, and then the courts, and giving him thanks, and giving him offerings, and sacrifices, and blessing his name. And here we see the third reason in verse 5 of why we can be thankful. For the Lord is good. The Lord is good. And so here we see the psalmist going back to, we confess who he is. We give thanks by confessing who God is. And who is he? He's the good God. That word tov in Hebrew can mean good, it can mean delightful, it can mean pleasant. God is delightful. He is his personality, who he is for us, is pleasant. Some of you might be thinking, if that's true, why has he brought hard things into my life? If God is good, why does he bring not good things into my life? My kids have been really into the movie from the 90s, The Prince of Egypt. I don't know if you've seen it, cartoon. It's actually really well done. Um, the, the illustrations, the, the acting, um, it's really well done. In the opening scene, uh, it shows the, Egyptian, or the uh, Israelites in slavery in Egypt, and, and, and they are being whipped, and they are trying to move heavy things, and they're singing this song, Deliver Us. It's a really moving scene. Um, and they're not wearing much clothes, and Clara always says it looks like they're wearing just underwear. Um, it's because they're slaves. They weren't given any clothes. Yeah, I recommend the movie. Um, Nathan Robertson, writing about this, says, This opening song, Deliver Us, and the scene, displays a powerful balance of faith and uncertainty. Right? Faith in God, certainty in Him, but uncertainty in the circumstances. They didn't know how long they were going to be in slavery. And it shows that we can still trust God to deliver us, even as our agonizing yearning for help is real and expressed. 
those two things can exist at the same time. Your hope in God, your trust in him, but also your pain, your agony, the uncertainty of your circumstances. And so when we, we can say, you know, when I'm going down the highway and I get a flat tire, God is good. When they find something troubling on the MRI or the x-ray, God is good. When I'm grieving, God is good. When I'm sad, God is good. When there is friction and conflict in my family, God is still good. And so thankfulness, we see, starts to produce things in us. It starts to produce contentment. It starts to produce love. It starts, being thankful produces joy, produces peace. These are the good fruits of, of what it means to be thankful because the Lord is good. He can be trusted. He will care for us. Leads us to the final reason that we can be thankful, and that is that the Lord is is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Look at the verse 5 at the end here. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. That that word steadfast love, it's very important. It shows up all through the Old Testament. Hesed, his steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness, that, that God is going to be steadfast to his people because he's made a covenant with them. He's made a promise to them that he will be their God and, and they will be his people. And he will never turn back on that promise. His steadfast love endures forever. He's loyal. It's a loyal kind of love that you can trust. Matthew Henry writes that the covenant of grace sat down in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament with so many rich promises to strengthen the faith of every weak believer makes the matter of God's praise and of his people's joys so sure that however sad our spirits may be when we look to ourselves, yet we shall have reason to praise the Lord when we look to his goodness and mercy to what he has said in his word for our comfort. We can trust him because he's loyal, he's good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness endures to all generations. His faithfulness will endure to every generation that's represented in this room. His faithfulness will endure to every generation and whatever generation has to face the challenges that it has to face in the world. The rising generations coming through right now are facing a different culture, a different world than the generations that came in the 60s and 70s and 80s. But what the promise is that God's faithfulness will be there for every generation to be with him and the challenges they face. You know, all throughout the Bible, meals of remembrance have always been important. God having a meal with his people or commanding them to have a meal They've always had a special place between God and his people. I mean, we can think, obviously, of the Passover meal. Uh, We can think of um, the manna in the wilderness. We can think of, uh, you know, when Jesus in in his ministry and the feeding of the 5,000 with the fish and the loaves, and then when Peter sees Jesus on the beach and they have a fish breakfast together on the beach, we think of the Lord's Supper. We think of the, the coming feast with God's, God and his people in heaven. The feast of the Lamb. 
It's a reminder of God's faithfulness. Maybe this past Thursday, when you were with your family, you were reminded of God's faithfulness too. Um, you know, when we got together as a family, it was bittersweet. It was good to be with each other, but we, we had a missing plate at, a place at the table um, because my stepbrother, my stepbrother passed last, uh, earlier this year. Yet we were reminded of God's faithfulness, that he was with us through the tragedy, through the loss. And so through the oysters that were roasted and fried and the stuffing and the green beans, it was all the same and reminded me of the never-changing faithfulness of God. When you have those same meals with the same ingredients, it's, it's a tradition, right? It's what you have every year. And it's a good reminder that God is the same every year, that he's with us every year, that his faithfulness is always going to be there, to be with us. Jen Wilkin writes, the Bible is full of meals of remembrance, of sacred repetitions, of significant repasts. The idea permeates the Passover meal, instituted to remind God's people of their deliverance from slavery. Roast lamb, bitter herbs, unleavened bread, reminders to thankfulness and watchfulness and freedom. And it permeates the Lord's Supper, wine, broken bread, a gathering of the family of believers in which the food itself is a remembrance of him who has shaped who we are. Reminders of thankfulness and watchfulness and freedom. That's, it's, it's through these elements. It's through this food and drink. God reminds us of his faithfulness, of his goodness to us. And so as I conclude here, ask yourself, how has God been faithful to you? And as we ask that question, I want to point to the, the, the table, the supper that we're about to take and say, the supper is a place of giving thanks for what God has done and finished and completed for you. The Lord has been faithful to forget and forgive your sins. Maybe when you gathered with your family this past Thursday, you had to make it a point to forget and forgive. Maybe that had to happen and say, you know what? I'm going to overlook these offenses that I've, and this friction I've had with this person. I'm going to come to the table and forget and forgive. When we come to the table of the Lord's Supper, he forgets our sins and forgives our sins. And it's a table. It's a reminder of his faithfulness of what he's done. It's not a table where we recommit ourselves to him. It's a table where he recommits himself to us. We could call it a covenant renewal ceremony. It's where the Lord says to us, I'm the faithful one. Trust in me. Trust in my son, Jesus. He is sufficient for you. Pray with me. Father, thank you for feeding us. Thank you for nourishing us. We need it. We need to be encouraged. We need to be reminded of why we're thankful. And then to show that and give thanks a world that desperately needs to hear it and for a people that desperately need to be encouraged by it. And Father, send us out from this place this morning with thankful hearts, hearts that have been transformed and continually are being transformed to look more like Jesus' heart and to love like he loves. And so be with us and bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.